Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. My name is Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me, as always, is... Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media. And we got a very uh, captivating episode for you guys this week in which we will break down and discuss the label of Image Comics. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so I, I suppose it would be most appropriate to start off uh, this week's podcast uh, with a little bit of background information uh, in regards to the label and uh, how it came to be. And Holden, I know you uh, know quite a bit uh, about the uh, history of the label, uh, and we would be uh, extremely uh, interested in being illuminated by your knowledge. All right. Uh, well, Image Comics came about. Its, um, its origins come from back in 1992. A lot of writer-creators uh, who were working for Marvel when Marvel was being extremely successful back then, and... Uh, they're only being paid for the books. Meanwhile, that was kind of the big boom when Marvel was making tons of money off of all these different properties that they were working on. Uh, the popularity involved with all these books had a lot to do with with their work on, on, on these things. And then, you know, they, they started selling uh, all the different things outside of comics as well. And they had no no rights to any of it. And then they're like, well, hey, well, we want rights. And Marvel's like, nope, no, you don't. You're paid for, pay for hire. So they, um, <laughs> they, they bound together and said, all right, well, guess what? We're leaving the company. And they did. And they went to and founded Image Comics. Uh, it was founded under the principle that it would be a place where they could publish their stories without giving up the copyrights to their intellectual properties. So, a lot of um, a lot of these writers and creators went ahead, and they ended up making their own kind of shell production companies, but published it under the Image line. And, and in, it's, it's sort of uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of uh, uh, revolutionized uh, the way creator-owned material is presented in the mainstream market. They are. The lead source, it's probably the, the best place to get your, your creator own stuff done because they have a lot of, uh, marketing potential within their own company to help you get the word out, uh, as well as, um, well, it's just, it's a good blend of having a good place to get the word out about your work, but it's also a, a good stable place to, to write stories that you really feel you want to write as opposed to following guidelines to one of the um, one of the big two which would be exactly following their guidelines for their continuities yeah so this is a place where uh you know if you're a creator uh um you know you obviously have you have to have some chops you have to have uh some credentials i imagine uh to get in the door with these people but but i'm sure once you do once you're a jeff lemire or a robert kirkman uh you know, uh, there's there's examples uh, within within Images line of of some really successful uh, creator owned titles that have taken off to to huge things, and we'll get more into that later. But. Yeah, um, 
Image is founded. It was the uh, six original creators that helped stop found Image, uh, and their their companies respectively. It was uh, Todd McFarlane with Todd McFarlane Productions. Uh, he was extremely well known from his work on Spider Man, and actually ended up going uh, uh, started doing Spawn. Spawn right now is probably the most well known creator owned book there is. It's been going on. I think it's over two hundred and fifty issues now. Um, then you had uh, Jim Lee with Wildstorm Productions. Um, from Wildstorm, a lot of a lot of great books came out of that, like The Authority and Wildcats. Um, oh, I remember Wildcats. Yeah, that was great. And then, um, and then eventually, Wildstorm actually ended up getting bought out by DC. And Jim Lee is now like one of the top three people in DC right now in the company, just because he wanted to do other things creatively. And that, that's why you see. Um, Books like Stormwatch and, and Midnighter are, are part of DC's lineup is because they're now intellectually owned by them. They, they paid up. Right. Um, also, uh, Eric Larson with Highbrow Entertainment. Um, he's been doing uh, Savage Dragon. I believe that's over 100 issues now. That's another huge... Uh image title that comes out one of the big ones yeah yeah i'm not i'm not real familiar with the book itself but i think the whole premise of it is is that uh there are these metahumans i don't know what they call them in the book but i guess uh it takes place in chicago where vigilantes are not tolerated whatsoever so we get this metahuman the savage dragon and he ends up being becoming part of chicago's police force and he ends up fighting crime only you know legally and with all the red tape that comes with being a cop. So, one of these days... And, and I, he's a dragon. Yeah, yeah, he's got and a... He's got a savage personality and a savage uh, way of carrying himself. He's really he's really buff. He fills out the police uniform, and he's got a fin on his head. It, and it, it, does, it looks not unlike uh, a badass uh, punk-style mohawk, uh, the fin, yeah. uh, which adds a little bit of extra... Uh, edginess to the character. Yeah, so one of these days I'm probably gonna pick up a compendium, just get like the first 50 issues and just read it off. And then just, you know, it might be, like. behoove me to do the same as well. I know you picked up a spawn, uh, compendium that was pretty neat. I, I did, yes. I, um, remember you let me take a spin through that. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, two big, uh, stories, uh, from Image that would be worth picking up something like that to get familiar because they have been around for so long that well geez this is really long like you gotta imagine how long it takes usually the only 12 books come out like a year right so right if if something's been coming out that long like spawns over 250 so that means that it's been going for about 20 years a 20 year run and they have not like recharged that run at all, correct? It, it, like in other words, you know how uh, uh, the, your Marvels and your DCs will they'll set it back to number one uh, after every so you know every every length of time, certain time interval, uh, they decide they're gonna uh, you know uh, uh, restart their whole. Uh, Continuity yeah, over just again. to reboot but, but, everything. But Spot, they've never done that with Spawn. I don't believe they have. I, I I haven't gotten too far in the compendium yet, hmm. and then I wish I had gotten it in color. But uh, the one I picked up was in black and white, which the art is still absolutely fantastic. But I, I kind of like coloring in the books. I think it really adds to the mood. So I might pick try to pick up one with the actual colors. 
Oh, yeah. But Because uh, I know the colors from those books is absolutely fantastic. But I, I'm thinking Spawn in particular, um, I think they went, they didn't reboot per se, but they did go with another direction. The main character used to be Al Simmons, who used to be a government contractor assassin. Right, I remember that. And I believe they moved into a different direction. The person who Spawn now is a different person, and Al had is more of a villain, and he's actually been consumed by the 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 hell spawn membrane that was gave him his powers interesting interesting so, now, uh, and they made a, a spawn feature film way back in the 90s i remember too uh I, I i don't remember it being anything worth bragging about but uh well i mean it was certainly entertaining enough i mean yeah. there'd definitely be a lot worse ways to go ahead and kill time um I mean, you can only stay so close to the source material. I mean, that was back in the day when it was a real risk trying to go ahead and do these these comic movies just cause, simply because the, the technology wasn't there to go ahead and portray to the the audience the the full capabilities of of the characters involved since everything's so kind of superhuman and fantastic. I mean, the development right. of CG really like made all this possible i mean these marvel movies wouldn't be possible right now if the technology wasn't there they'd really have to rely on their real boots on the ground series the only things that'd be more realistic would be like the punisher flicks and uh the daredevil movies yeah exactly i mean that's that's partly why batman's been so so successful for so long because he's a boots on the ground kind of uh street crime type of avenger type of not necessarily avenger but but, uh, superhero superhero vigilante what have you yeah, no, uh, very astute point, uh, there. But yeah, I, I remember the Spawn movie being pretty decent. I watched it as a kid. I, I haven't seen it since, but, uh, um, not to get us on too far of a tangent, though, um. Yeah, well, I'll just gotta go ahead and, uh, list off the other, the other three people who up found Image. Uh, you had, uh, Jim Valentino with Shadowline, and I'm not particularly sure which books came from that. Um, then you had Mark. Sylvestri or Stir? Sylvestri. Yeah, I don't know. I know how I wrote it, but I don't. I don't know. I didn't bother to get a pronunciation. But he, he, uh, he founded Top Cow Productions, which is actually really successful. Um, the books like The Darkness and and Witchblade I've uh, done extremely oh, yeah. well. I was um, a Witchblade fan as a young, uh, maybe a young preteen. Uh, you know, we were uh, going through those changes uh, uh, as a young lad, and, and uh, Witchblade was one of those uh, comics growing up that, that was very uh, conducive to that time period of my life, particularly in regards to uh, the outfit she chose to wear through most of that series. So I'll leave it at that, not to get yeah. too graphic. But well, yeah. I, I remember on TNT, they actually had uh, a show based on the books. Yancey Butler, she played Witchblade, yeah. Yeah, that was a really good show. Actually, it was like the only thing that kept me away from watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I was religiously <laughs> watching at the time. It was hard to choose between the two, but I, I watched I, them both, yeah. I gave Witchblade a chance and it was and it was uh and it was amazing. And I watched the whole first season, but then then it tailed off and then I went back to watching Buffy again. Yeah, uh, when I was a preteen, you know, I, I used to watch all those shows. Buff, there was Buffy, there was Witchblade, there was Dark Angel with uh, Jessica Alba, and there was also uh, 
There's one more show that that I was really into with a female, uh, strong female lead. Oh, uh, then of course there was also Xena, the Warrior Princess too. Yeah, all those shows helped me get through the ages of, I'd say, thirteen through fifteen, maybe. And then you know I got access to the internet and things took off from there. But you know, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyways, sorry to just be interrupting you all day today, but, uh. Well, that's okay. You, <laughs> you got, you're contributing things. <laughs> and we're learning all about Andrew's childhood. Anywho. Uh, yeah, last name on the top six original creators that founded Image, uh, would be Rob Layfield, um, with Extreme Studios. He put out the book Youngblood. Um, they actually had a bit of a crossover between Spawn and Youngbloods for a little while until eventually each kind of production company, shell company under image ended up kind of going, taking their own directions because um, they kind of had their own little bit of a universe going on for a little while and then they just kind of moved on from that and they all kind of went in their own directions. Um, most of the people here, I believe, are still with Image. Uh, I know for a fact Todd McFarlane is because he's like the biggest name on the list. Ex- extremely successful. Oh yeah. Uh, I know Rob Leefield's back. Top Cow's still there. They're doing their thing. Eric Larson's still doing Savage Dragon. That's still going on. And then I guess uh, I don't know anything about Shadowline, but I know for a fact Wildstorm isn't because they're uh, everything. All the intellectual properties that were. Part of Wildstorm are now part of DC. DC, yeah. So, so that's that's pretty much how that went. Um, yeah, and over time, like uh, a lot of really successful books came out of Image. Uh, most notably, uh, recently, everyone knows it would be The Walking Dead from Robert Kirkman. Um, I've only read a little bit, but uh, I believe you're a lot more familiar with it than I am. Plus, you're also much more of a horror buff. And appreciate uh, that kind of material a lot more than I do. Oh yeah, well, um, you know, I'm always on the lookout for uh, for good horror, uh, and um, that is one thing that Image uh, has been able to produce in spades. Uh, but yeah, most notably would be the Walking Dead series by Robert Kirkman and art by Tony Moore. It's actually able to uh, get my Walking Dead number one uh, first edition. Signed uh, by Tony Moore at Comic Con this past summer. I was pretty pumped about that. Uh, that was a definite collector's item there. But um, yeah, uh, Walking Dead ha- has basically uh, grown into uh, becoming uh, the prominent horror comic story uh, of our generation. And the way that Robert Kirkman was really able to accomplish this was because he took a look at the zombie apocalypse scenario from a little bit of a different point of view, where uh, when you have a situation where there's been an outbreak and, and there's so many people infected and there's zombies, or, or they call them walkers uh, most of the time in the book, um, when you have a situation like that, Yes, there are certain inherent dangers uh, in regards to the walkers themselves coming after you as a survivor. But what Robert Kirkman focuses on besides that is all of the other dangers uh, that are also presented when society is torn apart like that. Uh, what you essentially have is 
uh, an anarchy type of situation where everything's sort of gone tribal and no one trusts one another. There are different groups of people that are looking to kill each other, looking to steal things from each other, uh, rape and murder and harm one another. And you have things like that going on the whole time uh, to the point where there's, you know, corrupt members of law enforcement agencies and, you know... Further, you 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 read into and 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 there's 25 volumes I believe that have currently been put out of The Walking Dead. I've I've read, uh, you know, it's sort of something where with with horror books, uh, I'll you know pick up a volume as I go, as you know, occasionally as as I can. You know, I do this with everything. You know, Sandman. Uh, every so often, I'll pick up the next volume, Preacher, Hellblazer, same thing with The Walking Dead. So I, I'm at uh, volume seven right now in the series, so I've got a ways to go. I watched the show as well, though. Of course, uh, you know, the show's a big hit. Uh, they're entering their fifth season. Uh, sorry, sixth season. Uh, sixth season of The Walking Dead. And, uh, you know, the show pretty much uh, stays... True to the, the source material and, uh, kind of follows suit with the book, uh, almost perfectly, especially, uh, with the first few volumes. They mirror, uh, or the, the first two seasons of the show mirror the volumes very well. So, um, you know, Robert Kirkman, the reason why he's been so, so successful with this series, especially, well, particularly in my opinion, uh, is because he takes a look at the human condition and he takes a look at society being torn apart during an incident like this. So it's not just about, ooh, the scary zombies are coming after you. That's an element of the story, but there's just so much else, so many other components there uh, that he throws in, and that's what has taken it from the traditional zombie apocalypse story and made it something bigger and better. So, uh, Walking Dead, if you haven't dove into the graphic novels, I highly recommend it. Tony Moore's uh, pencil work is unparalleled, and uh, for those that watch the show... Obviously, uh, the the content uh, within the pages of, of said graphic novel is going to be on par with that. So if you're into uh, the dark, dirty, murky, lurking, blood and guts zombie tales, uh, this one has all of those extreme qualities you're looking for. So, uh, so yeah, Walking Dead, big uh, big image horror title. Mm, very good. Yeah, Robert Kirkman, I think he's uh he's like the president of Image right now. He's he's up there. He's definitely a a CEO of sorts. Uh I'm not sure exactly. You know, it would probably probably tell me in this uh current uh latest trade paperback of uh Witches, which we'll get into. They'll probably have something uh, on the yeah, well, he's done a lot of work with Image. Um, yeah, he, shit, he's the chief operating officer. Uh, and uh, to answer your question about the other founding members, the founding fathers of Image, if you will, Eric Larson, still there as chief financial officer, uh, Todd McFarlane, still on board as the president, Mark Silvestri, still there as chief executive officer, 
And Jim Valentino is still there uh, as VP. So, but yeah, Robert Kirkman is is pretty much running operations, running the show at Image Comics right now as chief operating officer. So, well, he's he's doing a hell of a job. I mean, right now Image is really kind of like a safe haven. Like you can, if you want to go and you want to like get your chops and go ahead and and write characters that are extremely well known for Marvel and DC, you can do that. But if you also want to go ahead and do something that is very much your own, you have the option to come to Image, pitch pitch what you have as long as you have like a good finished product and they have a good eye of what you're doing, idea of what you're doing, they'll help you get it printed. I mean, um, there are a lot of people who've actually made their name coming up through the ranks going through Image first. Which um, is which is so cool. And uh if I could just say that, you know, uh the fact that these gentlemen got together and created this label and had the foresight to create it in this way uh, is just, it's so brilliant and it's so fascinating to think about because it's giving uh, new, fresh, creative minds that have the tenacity to follow through on a project. It's giving them the opportunity to have an outlet for that in on the mainstream market. It, it's It's just the fact that McFarlane and friends here had the had the foresight to see that that they could do something like this. It's it's done so much uh, for the graphic novel medium. Uh, can't say enough about it. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, I don't want to get too off the top, but Robert Kirkman he also had uh, did another book with Image called Invincible. Um, That's right. I, I haven't read that one, but I've heard you know a plethora of of information about it. It's it's another big title they have. I read the first trade paperback. It's the story of uh, this high school kid and his father's like this superhero who's got a power set not too far off from uh, from Superman's. It's kind of similar. And, oh, neat. And he when he gets to a certain age, his his powers develop, and he decides that he's going to go and fight crime. And it's kind of like a light-hearted superhero book and the first issue kind of takes place in in like in the high school environment kind of like got the buffy the vampire slayer vibe um where the 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 kids with superpowers meet other kids with superpowers and they 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 do detective work and try to solve these crimes and try to figure stuff out and and, uh, I mean, the first book was pretty good. It was just, um, just haven't gotten too much further into it just cause, uh, I got an awful lot on my plate. But I mean, <laughs> definitely worth picking up. Um, a, a lot of people love the book and I can see why. So if that's something you're into, then, uh, I was, then don't you know, hesitate, you know? And I, I was actually gonna ask you, um, what image really had out there in regards to superhero books because because uh besides Savage Dragon I couldn't think of any actual you know superhero uh books that image really had out there I know they have a lot of great graphic novels and a lot of great stories but I I just hadn't come across I guess anything from the image line in regards to superheroes um well the the way the things are kind of set up there there aren't an awful lot there's you, there's not any one character that really just fits like the mold of superhero um i'm sure they do any number of different hero books that try to kind of like take their own spin on the subject but uh, the the way things are going right now a lot of creator creators want to write stories that don't necessarily have 
uh, heroes and, and typical heroes and villains and uh, out of the superhero mold that they're, they're trying to tell different kinds of stories. Yeah. And it's actually kind of refreshing because a, a lot of the, the if you're if you're writing a superhero book, you you kind of have to make it meet a certain mold. There there's certain rules you gotta f- kind of follow and and when it comes down to it, it's just it, it's it really kind of limits the amount of things you can. But say you can write any other kind of story, and and it uh, it's great because you're not subject to any of these uh, specific rules. Um, yeah, there's, there's very little constraints. Uh, when when they they tell you, hey, you got a good idea, or just run with it, you know. And that's you know, I sort of equate it to sort of like uh, DC's Vertigo line we mentioned back way back in episode four, how they uh, were putting out all these uh, sort of out of the box stories written by out these out of the box great out of the box thinkers like Neil Gaiman and. Uh, uh, Garth Enos and, and uh, Brian K. Vaughn and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, image is similar with that where, uh, especially if you have the writing chops and, and you present them with a certain idea. Like, uh, I know, uh, one of my best examples is, uh, Scott Snyder, who happens to be my favorite current, uh, horror, uh, writer, uh, for the graphic novel Medium. Now, uh, you know, horror is, is definitely his wheelhouse, and, and he went to Image, you know, a few times with these ideas. Uh, the first time he, he published something from Image uh, it was a horror book that he wrote with uh, his childhood friend, who's also named Scott, oddly enough, Scott Tuft, and uh, illustrated by Attila Fataki, uh, who's done a lot of uh, illustrations for Image. Uh, this book, Severed, um, which I guess I can jump in and start talking about, uh, just cause it's, it's a prime example. They basically said, alright, Scott Snyder knows horror. We know that. We've read American Vampire. We've read The Wake. And we've seen his work on Batman. So, you know, uh, go ahead, Scott Snyder. Give us, you know, a scary tale. So, it, you know, he, uh, he had no uh, restrictions, and he was able to write this scary story that him and uh, a childhood friend had thought of together based on this, uh, I like to call him a cannibalistic con man. Uh, basically, it's it's sort of like a, it's set back in the early 1900s, and it's about this guy, uh, this decrepit old man who's apparently been alive for generations and he's got these razor sharp teeth and he wears dentures to cover them up but he tricks these these young kids young children into uh basically finds out what their life dreams are and he he tricks them into following their dreams but really they're just following him you know to this old shack in the woods where he proceeds to murder and eat them uh and it's very uh you know the imagery is is very gruesome, particularly uh, 
you know, when, when the killer, like this cannibal, uh, takes out the dentures and shows the teeth and, you know, uh, this, this child at the beginning wants to work for General Electric for a living. So he pretends he's this guy from General Electric. He takes the kid with him as his quote unquote intern. Uh, and, and, you know, says they're gonna be doing an electrical job at this place, but it's just this same shitty cabin in the woods. Um, and, you know, the kid gets tricked into being eaten. Well, similar thing with, uh, the main character of the story, where he wants to be, uh, a minstrel. He, he, his father was a fiddle player, uh, and he wants to, uh, you know, uh, reunite with his father who left him at birth. Uh, to live the minstrel lifestyle. So this whole time, uh, this con man's tricking this young lad into thinking that, uh, you know, he's going to, uh, record an album and same deal. He brings him to the cabin in the woods. He says it's a recording studio and things go from there. Now there's a twist at the end. I don't want to give it away for those that are looking to read severed. Uh, but, you know, like I said, another great example of, uh, a, you know, a great writer, in this case in the horror genre, where, you know, he was able to work within his wheelhouse and do everything that he wanted to do without any restraints. And because of that, uh, another masterpiece was published. So uh, that's the power that uh, the image label can, can provide somebody with uh, the creative chops in the business. Uh, that that doesn't want to uh, work under the constraints of a Marvel and DC continuity stream. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, what it also does is that uh, it really allows people a place to get their foot in the door. I mean, uh, you can do your own creator stuff outside of Image, but Image kind of just is just catapults your work and makes it so people really get a good look at it. Um. So I guess I'll get into uh, one of my favorite, well, my my favorite book coming in off of the image line right now. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. It would be uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' Saga. Brian K. Vaughn, one of those out-of-the-box thinkers we just love to talk about here on The Vigilant Geek. Yeah. I remember when I had uh, first heard that he actually he was working on another book. He, uh, he was just fresh off of... What was it? Ex Machina. It was the last thing he had worked on. And I was just really kind of waiting to see what he'd do next because he'd done all these these really big, big stories. Uh, Why the Last Man and Ex Machina are extremely well-known and critically acclaimed. So when I heard that, I'd finally heard that he started doing this uh, this other story called Saga. I was actually really excited to hear about it. And, uh, by the time I did, I think they were out on issue, like, six or seven so uh i went ahead and i got some trades and i caught up and saga is the story of there are these there's this planet and then there's its moon and the people who inhabit both of them have been at war for just for as long as anyone can remember and things would get extremely bloody between the two of them things would be always battled to a standstill the one race from the moon relies on magic and they have, they grow horns. Whereas the, the people from the planet, they have wings and they rely more on technology. Well, both of those worlds kind of breached out. They stopped fighting in between each other on their own worlds, but their war had spread and it's now on other planets. They are bringing other 
allies into the fold, and they were the ones getting the punishment most out of this. And on one border planet, um, a woman with wings and a man with horns end up meeting together. One was a prison guard, and the other was a prisoner. And they end up meeting together, and they end up bonding over this writer's work. And they're like, well, war is just, like, stupid. So they, they get together... And they end up having a, um, the woman ends up getting pregnant and, and they, they both just went AWOL and just left the service altogether. Well, the people running the world on the moon and the people running the world on the planet both realize what's happened and they realize that this mixed race child's about to come out. And the implications across the, the the galaxy and the universe would be enormous if they found out that even if two people could go ahead and come together and realize that that they they shouldn't be fighting, it would just be catastrophic for their whole like agenda and their whole war economy that they got going on. So both sides hire people to go ahead and kill kill the parents, kill the child, make it like they never existed. Um, the uh the people from the moon they hired their their own assassins and meanwhile the uh the people from the planet they uh had an alliance with these um these robots and they get prince robot the 4th his his father king robot the 4th ends up telling him like all right well you got to hunt this people down i don't care if your wife's pregnant or anything and it's this long story and and it's still ongoing, and it's and it's amazing. And what it does is it it shows like what the price of war actually is, how it affects everyone. Um, just extremely violent, a um, lot of sexual stuff going on in there uh, with different re- relationships. A lot of real stuff. greasy sex scenes there. Yeah, yeah. Greasy and. Uh, and then the the artwork's amazing, uh, completely done by Fiona Staples. And then the the story itself is just fantastic. I can't say enough good things about it. Um, yeah, no, but, I remember you uh, letting me flip through uh, that big uh, first volume you got. And uh, Fiona Staples, her artwork is just something else. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's it's like they're aliens, but like. I don't know. The artwork was just so detailed that those greasy scenes were still like really getting to me, getting me hot under the collar, you know. Well, the, the coloring is amazing, along with the art, um, the, the a lot of mature themes, and um, I mean, especially and, politically. Absolutely. Um, if you if you want to just break down real quick what Brian K. Vaughn is basically saying about our own society, there, it's saying. Something that's so valid and, and, and a point that I always try to get across to like some of my more racist, uh, acquaintances is, you know, the powers that be clearly want to divide us so they can keep conquering us. So that's why racism is so, still so prevalent to this day, uh, when it really doesn't have to be because we really are so similar uh all life on this planet was created from the same the same stardust the same light energy so you know we're really not 
different, you know, from from any other, you know, Caucasian people and, and black people and, and and Asian people and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No one's really, you know, scientifically speaking, there's a lot more uh, likenesses between all of us than there are uh, differences. Uh, so, anyways, what are you saying there between the two races, like the moon race and 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 the the planet, the race of the planet? You know, is basically like you know, like because of their uh, War-driven economy, aka the U.S. economy, uh, so to speak. You know, they don't want people to start to realize that we can all get along because there goes all the money that's being made by the war profiteers. So he's taking a very strong political concept that's very prevalent in uh, current events today, and he's putting it into a science fiction masterpiece. Uh, and I just love it. I love the concept yeah. and uh, the art that goes along with it uh, is just—it's beautiful. It really, truly is a masterpiece of the medium. Yeah, if there's one thing to let you know how much I like this book, usually I will not buy completed hardcovers with like like the first fifteen or so issues and together when I could just buy the the trades or if I had I've been buying the uh, regular issues off the stands. But this is one series where I did buy the hardcover, and it's gorgeous. And if I ever get a uh, coffee table, I'm, I'm sticking it right there, right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. A hell, hell of a coffee table book. Yeah, and it's just, it'd be outstanding. Awesome. Well, what else do you got there for some of your favorites? Um, let's see. Well, we all know I love Saga, but right now there's a new book out right now that I just... Sometimes I'll go to a comic store and on a whim I'll be like, what looks good? What have I not read that's catching my interest and that I should pick up? And A valid question for any uh, collector or comic book hobbyist, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, after a while, it just certain things you read over and over again. You get the idea, but you're looking for something fresh. You're looking for something new. And a couple weeks ago after we went to Comic-Con and I hadn't spent my... Allotted uh, money, all that I that was meant for the con, and then we ended up going to a, uh, a comic book store directly afterward, so you could pick up your stack. And uh, I went ahead and I, I indulged a little bit. I uh, I checked out a book called Wayward. Uh, Wayward comes uh, off the image line. It is uh, written by Jim Zub, and for the life of me, I can't remember the the name of the artist, but. Um, I'll I'll have to remedy that eventually, but the story is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the story is uh, revolves around uh, the main character is named Rory Lane. She's half Irish, half Japanese. Um, she had lived in Ireland for most of her life, and she kind of knew Japanese kind of well. But she ended up moving, going back to Japan to live with her mother, and she's getting crap from the Japanese teachers because she's got red hair, but that's her natural hair color and. She's just getting used to the culture and everything there. And then as it turns out, she's got this this power set. And she realizes she has this. She kind of sees these these threads in the air and how they connect to different things. And she ends up getting assaulted by these turtle spirits in an alley. And they're trying to maintain the status quo. They see her and they're just going to mug her. And then this other uh, young woman who has the powers who can do anything a cat does ends up just 
smashing most of their heads in and they end up defeated and running away and as it turns out there's uh there's different things going on behind the scenes in Japan um she ends up running into other individuals with their own power sets of their own and it also turns out that she's got these powers of like she can use these kanji symbols and and draw them out in the air and make it so that she can do anything Really, whatever the word says, uh, like what this one guy attacked her and she went just like depowered and then all of a sudden the guys like lost his, lost his abilities and they end up becoming friends anyway, but. That's pretty neat. Um, the way the book kind of moves along is it turns out that all these spirits who are kind of running things behind the scenes, um, and then they're scared of these children with these new abilities and it turns out that the, these children are, are setting themselves up to be the new, the new gods of Japan. And they're, these other old spirits are kind of like the old guard, the old gods of Japan. And they're, they're getting ready for this big confrontation between the two because there's about to be this, this power struggle for the spiritual stuff going on. And, uh, lots of interesting new powers and stuff, uh, clearly inspired by different manga. Um, if you, you've, uh, read any, um, manga or watched any anime, even a little bit, you know how wild the power sets can be. Um, so it's definitely got some influence from there. Um, the artwork's amazing. It kind of you kind of feel like you're you're taking place in. Uh, it's really setting like uh, the setting is just. It kind of takes you to Japan. It makes you gives you this ambiance and it makes you feel like you're you're seeing this place that you've never really experienced. Well, at least for me, anyway. Um, and. And it's really, really good, and uh, they took a little bit of a break, but I'm pretty sure that uh, the series is going to continue this November. I think they're just uh, taking their time now to go ahead and get their art ready so that they have, uh, they'll at least be able to get another story arc out um, in a row within the next couple of months. I mean, that's another thing that they don't really talk about is how hard it is for indie creators to go ahead and produce... Uh, story and art and, and have it produced and out to come out on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's so much that goes into that. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you don't have all the resources that a Marvel or a DC label has per se, uh, or if you're just trying to pump something out on your own, it's going to take a little bit longer uh, than those powerhouse companies with uh, those very... Uh, very intricate deadlines and, and things that they they keep to in order to uh, get things out on an exact frequent basis. Well, so, I mean, you'll, you'll see that even within the big companies themselves. You'll be going along, and the next thing you know, like your Batman story arc gets cut off because they want to do this event. Like, oh, geez, um... Well, we're gonna do just like DC did Futures End last year. Like, well, one month, that this just all these one shots having to do with Futures End, or how they recently did with Convergence, or Marvel's doing it right now with Secret Wars. They're doing all these Battle World books. There are these events that are quick and they've been working on, but they're there to hold people's interest off, and then you can just kind of read that while they're really just gearing up to get to the meat and potatoes, which would be the actual title books themselves. Right. It's sort of like uh, they're working towards an end where they're revamping everything. Yeah, so. they're just like, hey, look at this. This is going to be fun for 
for like an issue or two, and then and then we're we're, we're back back on task. I mean, also it really it gives these uh, artists and writers uh, a lot of time to go ahead and recharge their batteries and give them vacations because you can't just go nuts all the time all the time with this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, you'll notice too, like a lot of those Marvel books, like uh, as Secret Wars was starting to come out, you started to see a lot of last days of so and so type of books, last days of the Punisher, last days of Ant Man, last days of Black Widow, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's another uh, example right there of them. Uh, Oh, we got an event we're doing. It's a big crossover, so you're gonna end your run now, or in two issues, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, well, they've yeah. done it a couple times. I mean, uh, those examples I gave from DC. Also, when Batman Zero Year was uh, when Scott Snyder was doing that, when they were in the thick of that, the, um, there were a lot of DC books that had uh, Zero Year tie-in one shots. Oh uh, yeah, like what characters were doing during Zero, zero Year. Um, during that particular event when you know, this was actually very good. but uh, So that kind of leads me to uh, wonder what the hell we were talking about in the first place. Oh, just uh, the challenges for putting something out there on a regular basis, even if, you know, especially if you're uh, uh, trying to produce something that you yourself own and or you yourself are pushing into the market. Oh, that's right. Well, when it comes right down to it, I guess my point is is that Wayward's excellent, and if you love comics, you should probably read it. Same with, with same thing with Saga. Saga is probably a mandatory reading, as far as I'm concerned. It's mandatory. That means you get your ass out there and you buy that bleeping book. Do it, and then you read it. Pause the podcast. Go get it right now. We'll wait. No, ah, I'm just yeah. kidding. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, now, uh, there are certainly a couple of other, uh, key titles we want to go over before we conclude today. Um, I know I have one more that I, uh, would definitely like to consider touching upon real quick if I could. Oh, go for it. We love hearing the sound of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sound of my voice aside. Um, <laughs> you know, I mentioned, uh, my love for Scott Snyder's horror writing and, uh, when I went uh to the local store to to pick up a batch of of what he had out there uh in regards to horror in regards to stuff that he put out there on his own because uh, I knew that would be straight up you know straight from Snyder's brain himself you know straight from the horse's mouth you know nothing uh in regards to continuity uh constraints there. So um, you know, when I picked up Severed, I also picked up uh volume 1 which came out recently of the new critically acclaimed horror book that that Scott has been writing, uh Witches. Uh Witches is still being put out uh once a month and uh it's still just a phenomenal horror read. It really grips you and it uh kind of shakes you up a little bit. So um, just real quick, uh, the basic synopsis behind this uh, wonderful horror tale uh, is it, 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 it all revolves around this, this girl uh, named Sailor Rook. Uh, her father uh, is uh, an author who writes kids' stories. 
and their family has relocated to Litchfield, New Hampshire. Uh, you don't know right away uh, why they've relocated. Uh, it turns out that there was an altercation between Sailor and like this girl that was a bully to her in school, um, where they met in the woods, and the girl, the bully girl, had a gun, and she wanted to shoot Sailor. I there's not really any basis as to why she's even really mad at her. Uh, she's a quiet girl, you know, kind of introverted, keeps to herself. Um, but you know, she's she's kind of an outcast, and due to that, I suppose there's always going to be some sort of uh, maliciousness towards people like that, because because of Bullies are always going to be a prominent part of our society, unfortunately. But anyways, um, little does anyone know in the woods that there are these creatures that live underground. And they come up through dead trees. Hollow, dead hollow trees. And sure enough, this witch, or so they're being called, uh, they're not, they don't look like traditional witches with the pimple on, or the, the, the wart on the nose and the, pointy black hat and the brooms and they fly around. You want to get that stereotype out of your head because uh, these witches are, are very much different. They're much more, they look like creatures, you know, and they got, they're they're tall and lanky. They got these lanky arms and this decrepit matted hair and these weird giant alien-like eyes that, that, I, that, that doesn't look like anything human. So, um, you know, the, the first... Uh, issue of the book you see uh one of the witches come up through the tree and grab the bully girl and bring her back down through the trees which later we find out leads to underground to their lair um so so sailor has been uh it, it, nothing was proven uh there were no charges but it has been believed that sailor murdered uh, the girl so there the family is moved away to get away from that whole mess well Apparently, you can't get away from the witches. They're everywhere underground. And once you have been pledged, someone has to pledge you. Once you've been pledged to the witches, they will not stop until they get you. And they turn you into a witch. Well, so That sounds like a big issue. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the story goes on, and uh, eventually the father kind of catches on that uh, the you know, her daughter, his daughter is not insane, and he believes her, and uh, everything comes to a head at the end. I don't want to give everything away, because it's just a fantastic edge-of-your-seat horror read, but um, it's it's a concept I haven't seen yet in the horror genre. When I when I originally picked up the, the, the book and I read the title, I thought witches aren't very scary, I know season three of American Horror Story kind of let me down with the witches. They just, they, they didn't scare you quite the same way as, you know, the, the spooks in the asylum did or the ghosts from season one. So anyway, so, so witches were something that, you know, I didn't have a lot of faith in, but I had a lot of faith in Scott Snyder as a writer and on the front cover, uh, there's, um, a, a, a review from Stephen King who was Scott Snyder's mentor when he was getting into writing horror. And, you know, Stephen King's calling it a fabulous triumph. So I said, okay, you know, Scott Snyder's never written anything before that I've ever been disappointed in. And sure enough, uh, he's got something good again. Uh, highly recommend Witches. 
Hmm. And uh, that is also an ongoing title. I believe they're picking it up again soon. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, that'll yes. be ongoing. So, so if you you read the trade and you enjoy it, you can go ahead and pick up new issues as they come out monthly. Radio. So we got a couple more uh, image titles here. We sure do. Uh, next one I'd like to touch upon is East of West by Jonathan Hickman. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it probably should, because Jonathan Hickman's got his fingerprints and has had his fingerprints all over Avengers and New Avengers for the past three years. And not only that, but he's also writing the main title book, Secret Wars, having to do with that whole event that that, that had been led up to through Avengers, New Avengers for the past three years. Um, but this is his creator-owned title. East of West. East of West is a post-apocalyptic tale. It follows um, this man named Death. And, Ooh, that's and, a good name. And I don't know if he's actually Death or not, because there's certain undertones of the apocalypse coming around. And there are these three other uh, creepy, creepy beings that are also uh, different aspects of what I guess would come together as the Four Horsemen. Um, but it takes place in a futuristic dystopia where the United States has been split into six territories and it's kind of run by a council, uh, one that runs each one of those. There's like one for Texas, there's one for, um, Louisiana territory, one for the southeast Georgian area, and then they got the north and then, and out further west they have like New China, which is like most of California and the west coast, and they all come together. And it's a story, it first kind of starts out with uh, death, and he's seeking revenge, and he's got his two friends with him, uh, one a woman, and then the other one a man, and uh, I think they're both Native Americans. One can just take on the aspect of like a million crows, and the other one turns into like a bunch of wolves, and then they're on this quest for revenge, and then no one's really been able to stop them, and... uh and it's it's pretty interesting. Um, a lot of different stuff. I haven't read it in a while. Um, money mostly. I had, I became haven't really uh, had my financial situation quite as stable back when I first started reading it. Um, and then I think I left off at like uh, issue nine or ten, and then and then I'm picking it up again. Um, the artwork's amazing. Uh, the story's really interesting. Um, it was kind of taking a turn. The last time I was reading it, kind of getting more centered on the, actually the world that everyone existed in as opposed to just these particular characters. So uh, another really interesting read. I actually just picked up the three trades for it uh, recently. So trades one through three. And I will be getting caught up on that, and I'll be looking forward to it because it had, I remember reading it before, and it was a really good story. And we'll be looking forward to uh, more updates from you. Uh, from that title because it sounds fascinating. And then, uh, as you know, uh, lately there's been a lot of really good science fiction coming from Image. Uh, a lot of people just wanting to write it in particular. Um, another one with uh, would be Descender by uh, Jeff Lemire and I believe it's Dustin Wynn. Correct. Um and this talks place in a future after an event where 
I believe it's the, uh, this large robot appeared out of nowhere in the sky and kind of turned most of the galaxy into anti-robot. They just get really phobic over it. And, um, and it kind of follows the tale of this one model of robot called Tim 21 and the dog bot that is his pet bandit. And they're found on a mining colony where a lot of robots were ended up, uh, destroyed. It turns out this kid has the same programming language, like um, like number per number, as these harvesters that appeared over the sky. These giant robots, and and the United uh, Space Council is trying to figure out what's going on with that. But meanwhile, other people found out about him and they want him dead. Well, destroyed. He's a robot. He's not really alive. But um, and it's been going good. Um. We're only six issues in so far, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been really interesting so far. Um, I've loved the art. The art, the, the artwork's amazing. Like really the, got me. It's yeah. uh, this this watercolor kind of. Yeah. And it, it's really it's really pretty. And um, so, I mean, it's been a good story. If you you want to jump on. Uh, now would be a good time, especially for collecting, because uh, who knows? I could see this going a good fifty issues, and a lot of the later issues will probably end up be worth some being worth some money. Um, and then that's one of the nice things about creator-owned stuff is you never have to worry about closure. Either the book will go on forever, or they have an idea in their head about how they want to end the story, which a lot of image books don't really last too long. Um, there are a lot of times they'll go in and they'll only be like one arc or it only lasts for about 12 bucks. And they go, they get the point across, and then they move on. Um, right. So Descender's another really good one. Um, and it, you know, not to get too far off topic, but I just love how uh, Jeff Lemire has sort of had his paw in every major label out there. If you look at uh, his work, obviously, on, on DC, he was on Green Arrow for a long time. Uh, then, uh, you know, for Marvel, I know he's writing Hawkeye. Uh, so it's kind of funny how he's, he's writing an Archer for DC. He's uh, writing he's an a, Archer for Marvel. He's a really hot name right now. Uh, and then you got Valiant. He's working on Bloodshot. Mm-hmm. And he just finished up the, uh, the four-issue uh, arc called The Valiant. Yep. Yeah, which was a pretty big deal. That was that was a great read. Anybody who uh, hasn't or, or hasn't uh, read the Valiant uh, and is into Valiant comics, uh, unbelievable read. And uh, the Book of Death they got going on right now. That's not written by Jeff Lemire, but that's also amazing. We'll do a podcast on Valiant for sure. But uh, yeah, I just find it uncanny how. You know, he's really gotten his name out there and then some, I mean... In a uh, relatively short amount of time, ever since he completed his run on his Vertigo book, uh, Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth, yeah. He, uh, his, just, just seems that, like, he, everyone's been offering him work and he's been doing excellent with it. Uh, immediately after that, he ends up working on, uh, he ends up doing this other kind of creator-owned, uh, book called, uh, Trillium, which I heard was... Really, really good. The artwork's pretty cool in that. I never picked it up myself, but that was back in a time when I was, once again, financially unstable, which will never happen ever again. I'm going to get into that. Yeah. Um, 
And then freaking once that happened, then all of a sudden he moved on to Green Arrow and just revived the book because Green Arrow up to that point had been terrible. Yeah, it was from, a real real pooper, and then yeah, Jeff Lemire came by and fixed during, that. That was one of the books during the uh, New Fifty Two reboot that just uh, it didn't it didn't really take off as well as it should have, especially since they had the TV show Arrow going on at the same time when you had a lot of. Um, a spotlight kind of shining on the character, trying to give one of these lesser-known characters a real a real shot in the arm, you know? Oh, yeah. So they put him on the book, and then it, it just it, it flew off, and uh, Andrea Sorrentino uh, did the art on that, and I just love his style. It is so cool. It's very unique. There's yeah. uh, It's one of those styles that if you if you see it, it's it's almost completely indistinguishable. You know exactly who did that because it's so unique. Right. Um. But yeah, no, he's, he's Jeff Lemire is going to be writing the 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 flagship X Men book, Extraordinary X Men, coming up. I didn't know that. That is that's pretty excellent news. Yes, it is. That's going to be pretty a huge extraordinary deal. news, I'd say. <laughs> yes. Also, um, he's been doing the Hawkeye book right now. Uh, he's That's been, been good. I've been reading that. He got, he's uh, picked up work with Valiant, uh, doing Bloodshot, like you said, and uh, and uh, I don't know if he's doing anything with DC right now. Mm. I haven't seen him uh, on any DC books, but I mean, I'm sure they're going to use him again. Yeah, well, I mean, if they can, unless if he's in an exclusive contract with Marvel. Yeah, who knows? Which I, I guess he, I don't think he would be, because he's, it seems like he's writing for three different publishers right now. He's got his creator owned with Image. He's got, well, actually, he's got more than one creator owned with, uh, with Image coming around. He just had a book come out just now called Plutonia. And oh, I, yeah. I haven't read the first issue yet. I picked it up. I don't know what it's like, but, but he's got that, and I've heard the good things about it. But I, don't, I have no idea what the premise is. I just kind of saw that his name was on there. I picked it up. Oh, I'll have to, so, have to check that one out at least. I, I check out all of Jeff's work along with Scott Snyder, two of my favorites. So, so we got that Descender. we got the Hawkeye book. I believe he's doing both Hawkeye books. Well, not both. Uh, he's doing the one right now, and then... Uh, and once then, Secret Wars ends. Once Secret yeah. Wars ends, he's going to pick it up again. And then he's also going to be doing the X-Men book, which is enormous. That's a huge deal. Sounds like Marvel just cut a good deal with them, and I don't know. Well, I mean, Marvel Marvel pretty much headhunts for, like, anyone who's, like, a top talent who's making big waves or something. That's, like, the only way you get into that company. Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, for Kicks and Gigs, I, I looked at their website just to see. They do have, like, a tab that says, you know, like, uh, submissions or whatever. And I, I thought, all right, what do they have to say? You click on the tab, and... Uh, all it says, it's like one sentence. It's just like, if if you have what it takes to work at Marvel, we'll find you. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not even like it doesn't even give you like a shred of hope. It's just like if if you're all, if you've already made it in this industry, we'll we'll hear about you and we'll come find you. Yeah. Basically, don't fucking bother us. <laughs> right. No submissions at this time. Yeah. I mean, I and I, I I mean, uh, I think you know, you click on. DC submissions, you'll hear something similar, I'm sure. But, yeah, but you know, that's just how it is with the the big, the big, big mainstream labels. Well, but. DC also has its own label where it really cultivates fresh new talent in Vertigo. Right. Where Marvel does a lot of great things within the industry. They're probably the leader in probably uh, 
uh, in the cinematics right now. Um, they got a lot of great books. They're probably a leader in diversity too. No, I wouldn't think so. Um, they. You think DC is more diverse than them? I think DC hires more diverse than them. As far as the oh, I was thinking character wise. Oh well, yeah. characters they have a little bit of an edge, but if they, you're having diverse characters and they're not being written by diverse human beings, like how diverse are they really? Well, it all depends on whether said writer is, uh, you know, able to to write certain characters of different ethnicities and, and, and different sexes. Because sometimes you'll get a guy who writes a book about a female-led character, and it becomes very one-dimensional, you know, to the point where I remember uh, a, a direct quote from Kelly Sue DeConnick, actually, uh, that said, um, if the same thing that you're writing about you know, your character, your, your sexy female character can be said, you know, the same things can be said about like a sexy lamp or a sexy inanimate object, then chances are you're not writing the character properly <laughs> and, and you're not giving them the proper dimensions that, you know, would be shown in real life. So, so I've always taken that as a rule of thumb because I myself have tried to, uh, or I'm currently trying to to create a couple of female characters for my own personal projects. So I just yeah. thought that was neat. So yeah, it all depends on the writer because sometimes, if if and it's a rarity, but if you can have a, like a male writer that's able to put themselves in a female's shoes a little, or, or is able to to make that female character come to life and make it realistic, then that's one thing. Otherwise, yes, you're 100 percent correct. You need a diverse creative team if you want diverse characters. Absolutely. Well, that's. Yeah. I mean, it, it's good to have that kind of um, creative talent on your staff, anyway. So not everyone's just coming up with the same ideas over and over again. I mean, I know uh, the comic industry is kind of repetitive, and Marvel is most certainly one of the most. They can't even come up with a better idea for the story arc. They had to use one from 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that they can't. I almost feel like it's like like a really like infuriating laziness factor almost. No, it's like intentional. They're like, oh, well, I've I've heard of that before, and then people go to check it out. Oh, so it's like a big like marketing scam then, like yeah. like oh like Secret Wars. I remember when I read that as a kid. Well, uh, yeah, this will this will definitely be good, and it's like not the same story at all. It's, it's just, just it's, I don't know. Like I, I will always be irritated by that. I I've beaten this dead horse before, but you are one of the most. You're a company. You're a company, and you are known for your creativity, for your <laughs> your, your your stories and your characters and your everything, right? And when it comes down to it, the best that you your marketing team can come up with for a story arc name is something that was used 30 years before. The same name as another major story arc, by the way. So it's a name you've already used. So you're just going to be like, oh, well, Secret Wars. Hey, this is let's call this Secret Wars. Yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, I love that. That's a great idea. <laughs> like, uh, where, where was where is this coming from? It's where's just, the yeah. where's the creativity? And as as creators at the at Marvel, I, I can't imagine they're they're too happy about that. Uh, that like, oh yeah, here we go again. We have another major uh, universe changing story arc, and it's all called the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, I guess. Uh, oh no, they did that before with the <laughs> Infinity Arc too. Yeah. No, this stuff gets me pissed, dude. Yeah, I know. How, how are you going to go ahead and? And do all this stuff, and then in the end, uh, the, you, you don't have the, the the mind to go ahead and just simply call it something else. 
Yeah, I mean... Like, uh, it can't stand on its own. You need the little shot in the arm from something that came before it. Which, by the way, has they the, the two have nothing to do with each other outside of the fact that they were both they are both Marvel story arcs. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, so anybody who hasn't gotten into Secret Wars uh, and is expecting it to be anything like the Secret Wars from 1984, uh, sorry to let you down, but it's a completely different tale. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is a frustrating factor. But. Yeah, but uh, I guess another point I wanted to get around to eventually would be that Marvel doesn't have the kind of farm system uh, side label like like DC does with Vertigo. I mean, uh, they do have something with Icon, but they're not taking submissions. They're not getting new creators' work out there. At least it's not very visible for me. Yeah. Or it's just all of it's so god-awful that they're not putting it on the shelves at the stores that I go to. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the Icon label. Uh, I do know that, you know... Uh Brian Michael Bendis has been publishing uh, that book, Powers, through them. It was originally an Image book, and then uh, I don't know what happened contractually, but but Image must have bought it. But, I mean, you know, it's all well and good to take, like, your your absolute star writer on the creative uh, roster and, and, and give him an opportunity to create, you know, something creator-owned for you. But, you know... I kind of want to see what else is out there too. You know, yeah. we know we know that Brian Michael Bendis uh, can write a, a damn good story arc. Uh, let's see what else is going on. You know, well, I don't know. <laughs> I got a couple theories on that. Since I haven't looked into it, Icon might not even be owned by Marvel at all. Icon might be just what Brian Michael Bendis calls his own private publishing thing, or maybe it is owned by Marvel and they're just they're not using it to its potential. Maybe they just don't even care because they're making so much money right now, too. Well, that's probably it. And the way Marvel's usually done things is just like, oh, this guy's making a hell of a name for himself over at the other company. Let's go ahead and and give him more money than those guys and have him write one of our books. And, I mean, there's an awful lot of that. They'll see, like, you need to be established and you kind of have to know people in order to be hired at Marvel. I mean, that's just the way it seems to me. Um, that's just the reality of it, I guess. Oh, that is absolutely the reality. Uh, but that's why, uh, we, you know, we're lucky enough to have these great labels like Image. Because it is giving, you know, other creative minds out of, out, other out of the box thinkers, uh, a chance to get some quality material out there on the, on the open market. So, good stuff here. Um, so, in regards to the image line, uh, anything else that you'd like to cover? Uh, well, uh, you mentioned Kelly Sue DeConnick. She's got a book out called Bitch Planner right now. It takes place with, Oh, uh, yeah, that title, uh, was actually enticing. I was gonna pick it up. Uh, love, can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, well, actually, we'll have to hit up the store right after this. I believe issue number four just came out, but I haven't picked it up yet. I was just remembering myself. The whole concept of that is, uh, it's only been out for about four issues now. The concept is is that uh, they're in a world that uh, male-dominated society and the women who are non-compliant end up getting sent to uh, this prison planet, which uh, is called the Bitch Planet. And it's for all the women who are non-compliant end up getting sent to this planet. And it's the storyline that's coming along, uh, how women 
uh, act at this prison and how they're being dominated and how they're going to plan on uh, fighting back. And and it's got a lot of interesting characters, and uh, I've enjoyed the read so far. Uh, definitely uh, pushing a feminist agenda, but uh, it's it's a good book. So interesting uh, social experiment at the very least. It sounds like. Yeah, so. I mean, I tr- I try not to get involved in these uh, in too many of these social arguments because, like, personally, I have my mind made up on a lot of stuff, and all I really care about really is. Uh, Reading comic books and paying rent. So I'm not really that deep when it comes to these social things. People are going to do what they're going to do. This is the land of the free where things are decided democratically and one way or the other. And if people have issues, then they're going to vent their issues and it'll be handled one way or the other. Um I don't know. I don't really want to get too deep into it, honestly. Hold an arm for president, <laughs> 2016. Uh, apathy for everyone. We don't really want to dive into it, so just, just it'll sort itself out. That'll be your slogan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I mean, other than that, I think we pretty much touched on a lot of the major image titles. Of course, there are as so many image titles out there, really. I think we just kind of touched on some of the big ones and our personal favorites. Um, but the whole idea, my favorite part about Image is the whole idea that you can set up a company and then allow the people who bring their work to you, you help them create it, but then they also retain the rights to it. Um, that's about as uh, utopian idea as I think there is. And it's not big business, and it's for the creators, and you can do real well yeah, it, it's definitely the one label in comics that has given the most back to the industry. Uh, and it's just important to, important to remember that, really. Uh, and, uh, you know, I for one, as an avid reader, am always going to the image rack to see what's new. Uh, because there's always bound to be something good on the image shelves. So um, with that, uh, we conclude another week's episode of the Vigilant Geek podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me as always is... Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media. We'd like to thank you all for joining us today, and as always, stay vigilant!